You're listening to Fighting Terror, the podcast that explores the approaches to fighting terror and extremism in the U.S., Europe, and worldwide, with Lucinda Creighton, Senior Europe Advisor to the Counter-Extremism Project and former Europe Minister. Episode 1, Global Leadership in Tackling Online Radicalization. This podcast is brought to you by the Counter-Extremism Project, a research and advocacy group that combats the activities of terrorist and extremist groups globally. Julian King, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss your wealth of experience as Security Commissioner and your work on tackling terrorist content and extremist content online over several years. Julian, you have served as ambassador in several jurisdictions. You are a really experienced diplomat. And I suppose coming into the European Commission when you did about a year or less after the Bataclan attack, just a couple of months after the Brussels attack and the Berlin market attack occurred just a few months into your term in office, there was a huge amount of concern around extremist and terrorist attacks in Europe. Did you determine from the very beginning to start looking at the online dimension of this terrorist activity or was it something that evolved as you settled into your brief? It's a pleasure to have a chance to talk about this. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Yeah, those were pretty grim days in 2015, 2016 when I started. And indeed, I was, I was hired in part to try and bring together the different things that were going on in Brussels around tackling terrorism. But I don't want to sort of start with giving the impression that that was a problem then and that maybe it's gone away somehow now because I very much think it hasn't gone away. We just, of course, commemorated the 19th anniversary of 9-11 at the Twin Towers. The risk, the serious risk of radical Islamist terrorism has been with us for some time. It hasn't gone away. And that's not the only sort of terrorist risk that we face in Europe. There is a risk from extremist, violent, right-wing and left-wing extremists. If you think back to the 70s and 80s, there was quite a lot of terrorism in Europe, unfortunately, in those days. And much of it was extremist left and right, violent terrorism. I think we have to be aware that the roots of that kind of terrorism go deep and that the Islamist terrorist threat is very much still a current one. So we were trying to focus on these issues on the back of the horrible events in 15 and 16. But we need to keep focused on those issues because they're not going away. I think it's fair to say that we have seen a trend. Pretty much every terrorist attack that has occurred on European soil and indeed beyond in recent years has had some connection to online activity, whether it's the recruitment process, whether it's the planning and execution but it has become part and parcel of both extremist and terrorist activity. And that's something that I think very quickly you prioritized. And as you say, you know, these issues are not going away. We saw the end of last year and early in 2020, both the London Bridge and Stratum attacks in the UK, both of those perpetrators were radicalized online. It's not surprising when you think about it. It was accelerated because, of course, Islamic State were quite good at using those means. They're an example a more general trend, I think, which is as more and more of our lives go online, 
further accelerated by the particular circumstances we're living through at the moment with COVID, as more and more of our lives go online, also negative and dangerous elements of our lives go online. In some ways, Islamic State was slightly ahead of the curve, but others have certainly caught up. Online is now a real challenge on all sorts of security issues, including terrorism. Again, I think we have to be a bit careful about not giving the impression that there were particular circumstances in 1516, there were, uh, but that somehow they've gone away. There's an alarming amount of Islamist terrorist material uh, online. The Europol did a, a study just earlier in the summer with various police forces around Europe. And uh, in the space of 24 hours, they turned up over 2,000 examples of really uh, radicalizing terrorist content across 180 different platforms. So the other thing that hasn't gone away is the spread of this material across more and more platforms. As indeed CEP have been writing about recently, there are caches of this material. Uh, supporters have collected material and they hold it in caches online. So you not only have the problem of new stuff that's produced, you've still got large amounts of old stuff, very, very dangerous material that hasn't been properly removed. Different voluntary initiatives have been undertaken to deal with this issue of the proliferation of terrorist content online, the Global Internet Forum and other fora where tech companies have come together and said that they're going to take certain measures to address this threat. I'm suspecting that given that you pioneered legislation in 2018, to try to regulate the proliferation of this content online, that perhaps you weren't fully satisfied that those voluntary measures were sufficient or that you know, those um, steps taken by global tech companies perhaps were inadequate? Well, I basically, yes. We were relying on voluntary arrangements that were moving, but were moving too slowly. To be fair to at least the larger platforms, uh, they were more and more aware that this was an issue. It was an issue of trust between them and the authorities and trust between them and, and some of their users. But they were worried uh, about uh, what kind of liability they might be exposing themselves to, depending on how they engage and address the issue. There were voices within the tech platform saying, look, this is a real issue. We've really got to do something about this. We could think about doing A, B and C perhaps from the legal departments within the, the various platforms who are saying, well, hold on a second, we need to be very careful about our, our global liability on these issues. While I was very happy to be engaged in things like the Internet Forum, we were definitely raising the profile of this issue and getting some increased voluntary cooperation. It also became clear during the course of 2017, really, to me, that we just weren't getting ahead of the problem and that therefore we also needed to look at other ways of focusing on it. Uh, within the European framework, there was the possibility of looking at uh, legislation for trying to tackle this uh, illegal content. Uh, we'd done something similar for child sexual exploitation content. We were having a big debate, as you'll remember, uh, about whether we were going to introduce regulation around copyright but if we could do copyright, then it seemed to me that we should be able to look at illegal terrorist content. The terrorist content online regulation 
was groundbreaking. No other economic or political bloc in the world, to my knowledge, had brought forward such ambitious legislation to try to tackle this huge problem to that point. Did you meet with resistance in the European Commission as a matter of interest, or was it relatively easy to win support for this? Of course, there was a debate. There was a debate about whether this was going to speed things up and uh, generate the right kind of political energy around tackling this problem, or whether it was going to scare people off and generate resistance from the tech platforms and, and frustrate the kind of cooperation that was going on on a voluntary basis. But in the end, after we discussed it, including with the platforms, it was felt that it was worth uh, trying to do it in the way that we, we did, uh, to highlight the problem, to make it clear that this is a problem that concerned everyone, not just one or two platforms, but potentially all the platforms, because the spread of content was going from the big platforms increasingly to other platforms. Uh, that the means of tackling it that were already in place, while helpful, were not as effective as they could be and were not as organized as they could be, were not as transparent as perhaps they ought to be. So there were many tales of uh, platforms wanting to deal with these issues, getting a fax uh, late at night from a a concerned police officer in uh, Greece saying, um, I think there's a problem here and can you do something about it? That wasn't, with the best will in the world, the most efficient way of of trying to to tackle this. They didn't know who this person was. They didn't know where this had come from. They didn't know how seriously to take it. And there were also increasing stories of the smaller platforms saying, well, we think we've got a problem here. How do we deal with it? What kind of rules apply? That was why we thought that setting out a clear legal framework with safeguards so that everybody could see what was going on and understand both the risks that they needed to manage, but also how they should go about it and be able to point out to their legal officers that there was a legal framework for doing this was going to be helpful in our collective effort. I think it's fair to say that notwithstanding the intention of providing legal clarity and guidance for those platforms, by and large, the platforms have resisted the terrorist content online regulation. There has been significant stakeholder lobbying in Brussels and elsewhere to try to ensure that this regulation, as it was proposed, will not be adopted. And there are specific elements to it, which are, from the Commission's point of view, absolutely central, without which arguably the regulation will be ineffectual, but which are huge bones of contention with some of the tech platforms. For example, you were proposing that online platforms would be obliged to remove terrorist content within one hour of it being notified. And further, that it would then be prevented from being uploaded by using automated means there's sort of two separate points there. One is the one hour takedown requirement and then the other is the requirement for automated tools to prevent notified content being re-uploaded. Both of these are being opposed by industry lobby groups. From your perspective as the commissioner responsible at the time, why are these two elements of the TCO regulation so important? Well, you're right, of course, we were breaking, as you were saying, we were breaking new ground in trying to approach this problem through a a legal instrument, creating this framework of regulation. At the time, there was still a great deal of concern across the platforms uh, about regulation, 
that has evolved a bit over the last couple of years. But at the time, they were worried that any regulation would somehow lead to more regulation and that they would find themselves liable for more and more of the content that uh, was on their platforms. And so some of this, I think, was just resistance because this was the first thing. Some of it was resistance, not just from the tech platform. Let's be honest, there were quite a lot of people in a sort of digital rights movement believe that any regulation, anything that touches upon content online is somehow going to get in the way of what they seem to conceive of as a kind of libertarian, free-for-all, Wild West space. So we had to deal with that as well. So I wasn't surprised there was some resistance. There was another problem that came up quite early on, which did surprise me a little bit, the strength of a feeling around a European-wide framework, and that was past the point. So that if there was a French-language post that was popping up somewhere else, it would be uh, possible for the French authorities to reach directly wherever the platform was established to take action, because this was our shared European space. And that created quite a lot of debate amongst different member state authorities and more widely about whether or not this might be used by some national authorities to go after platforms that they didn't like that happened to be established somewhere else. The strength of feeling around that did surprise me a little bit. I do think that we made some progress in dealing with them. The one-hour problem is one of the areas that I think we've got a long way in winning the argument. People accept now that the longer this material is up, the more harm it does, the more it spreads, the harder it is to go after and clean up. And the, the early um, hours are absolutely crucial. It is possible if you have a system that works effectively, to get a notification up and to get action taken within one hour. The platforms largely acknowledge that now. The argument is about how proportionate is it to expect smaller platforms to be able to do this, for example, in the middle of the night. And there, I think you're into an argument not about principle, but an argument about the practical arrangements. And that's the sort of argument that I think we can sort out. It's about recognizing that in the first case, perhaps uh, you have an expectation that action is taken as soon as possible. And it's only in subsequent cases that you would then be tightening things up and saying that uh, you know, this isn't the first time now. So we need to have a system in place so that when you get a, a notice that there's more material, you're able to take it down within an hour. So you'd have to adjust the practical arrangements to make the one hour effective. Certainly, if you look at how similar legislation has been implemented, I mean, it has been piecemeal, obviously, different EU member states have adopted their own national legislative frameworks around this. The Counter Extremism Project carried out some analysis of how the Next DG law has been implemented in Germany. And actually, you know, the cost of compliance for the smaller platforms has been fairly negligible and has been quite successful. There are certainly, I think, practical ways in which small platforms can be supported if the will is there. Although that was a headline concern, I may be wrong, but I'm not sure it's, the, it's proved to be the most difficult of the different issues that came up around this kind of approach. Maybe to focus on one of the more difficult issues, or certainly one which has caused perhaps some of the greatest tension, 
the issue of using databases or data banks of known terrorist content. I mean, this is a, an important feature of the terrorist content online regulation. This has become a real bone of contention, particularly in the negotiations with the European Parliament. The whole issue around the use of automated tools. We have developed in conjunction with Dr. Hani Farid a hashing technology called eGlyph, which is capable of detecting known content. So it has to be humanly verified, obviously, but once it has been, it can then be automatically prevented from being re-uploaded. This is something that is contained in the TCO regulation that you drafted. It has really become a major cause for concern in the European Parliament and amongst some of the digital rights groups, which you've talked about. Do you see that as a fundamental element of this legislation and, you know, ultimately in successfully tackling terrorist content online? It's one of the most fundamental elements in this. I welcome the work that you've done and indeed some others have done a small plug for the unpopular British government, perhaps at this point, who managed to generate a similar instrument, which they were making freely available to, to smaller platforms as well. I think that we've got to be ready to use technology to help us to tackle this problem. But it did generate a lot of pushback. Again, some of that pushback was because we were coming at this in some ways for the first time in the framework of, of legislation and proposed uh, regulation. I think that the digital rights activists were worried that this was somehow thin end of the wedge and there was going to be much more general monitoring and screening of things are laid out by national authorities and by European authorities, by the state. Uh, of course, everybody accepts that there's an enormous amount of automated screening that goes on every single moment of every single day by the platforms and the companies that we use to live our digital lives. But for digital rights activists, that's one thing. That's something that you choose to do, I guess, although quite how uh, aware you are of some of the choices you're making is uh, a moot point. And the state or... Um, uh, European authorities uh, doing it is something different. And that's a much bigger issue, which is going to be worked through, I think, in, in part in the discussions that are going on at the moment around the legislation that the Commission is going to be coming forward with around digital services or later this year, beginning of next year. I have always made the case that when we're talking about illegal content, content that we've all agreed is illegal, then you can justify uh, focused measures, including the use of focused tech to try and deal with that particular problem. And again, if you're willing to countenance the use of tech measures to try and deal with copyright and counterfeit, then I can't see why you can't accept that you should be able to use tech measures to deal with clearly, demonstrably illegal terrorist content. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we need to continue that debate. We need to try and take it forward in the context of the TCO proposal. I'm very glad that the, the commission in the new security union strategy have underlined that they want to get on with this now. I'm very glad that the German presidency of the council have put it quite high on their agenda for subjects to be tackled. We need to focus in on find a way forward with the co-legislators, including the European Parliament, on this question of proactive measures. You don't have to make them mandatory upon everyone. You can target them. 
What I like very much about the terrorist content online regulation is that it is very focused, very justifiable, as you've outlined, because you are dealing with clearly illegal content, illegal in our day-to-day lives, so therefore can be and ought to be regulated online. Some of the member states have regulated in a much broader sense and have encompassed terrorist content and extremist content with hate speech. Is that something that is perhaps fanning the flames of concern and opposition to the EU regulation? I've always tried to make a distinction between demonstratively illegal content. There's a a definition, there's a definition in law, uh, and I think you have their child sexual exploitation content, you have uh, terrorist content. At the other end of that spectrum are concerns around uh, disinformation and political manipulation, where you're not going to get any agreement around criteria, uh, let alone legislation. You're going to have to deal with it through different means. I think there's questions of increased transparency clarity about its provenance and its purpose. Mm -hmm. And then in between, somewhere, you have different forms of hate content. Not every problem is the same. Well, I don't want to get into the complexity of different pieces of legislation at European level, or we'll we'll turn all of our listeners off. But there is a proposal, and you've mentioned it, to bring an updated piece of legislation to the e-commerce directive called the Digital Services Act. Do you think that this is something that should be kept entirely separate to the terrorist content regulation? And is it desirable that the regulation would come before it so that it is treated entirely separately? I think you need to do a bottom up and top down. So there's obviously a case for the Digital Services Act. Um, It's going to look at these questions of liability, about setting up a regulatory framework for transparency, which I think would be very helpful with unwelcome content. But that, in my view, shouldn't be at the expense of making targeted pieces of legislation that go after particularly illegal content. So much progress was made initially, and I know that coming towards the end of your tenure, you, you, know, you really pushed the terrorist content legislation with, I think, pretty good buy-in from the European member states. I mean, member state governments, particularly those that have been affected by terrorist attacks, of course, had um, an expectation amongst their population that these threats would be dealt with seriously. And so while there might be differences of opinion around jurisdiction and and certain issues, but by and large, I think there was a a momentum. And it does seem, and I know there are many, many distractions at the moment, including the huge disruption of COVID-19, but it does seem that things have slowed down. So from your perspective, how can these big differences that exist between the European co-legislators, so the European Parliament on the one hand, and then the the Council representing the member states, and the Commission, which is the institution which of course initiated this legislative framework, how can those three institutions really push this along now or find common ground on some of these trickier issues? I'm sure you have views as to where compromise might be found, but it's going to be challenging, isn't it? I'm very supportive of the efforts that all the co-legislators are making to try and find compromises. And I welcome, as I've said, the fact that both the German presidency and the current commission have put this up there as one of their priorities for the next few months. It was implicit in your last question. I think there's a strong case for getting this done and out of the way before 
getting too deep into the discussions around the, the Digital Services Act. Uh, I think this is about illegal content and it would be good to crack on and agree measures around that so that they don't get caught up with some of the wider discussions. And I think personally, that is the lesson to take from some of the experiences in individual EU countries who have tried these things together or as some would see it perhaps mixed up different challenges about different sorts of content and they found themselves getting into some difficulties. As we got a basis for making progress on terrorist content, let's press on. Uh, there are these questions about jurisdiction. Can one country, when it sees content it doesn't like, reach across and take action directly, even if the platform is based in another country? Those are, I think, soluble. You can't, I think, say that somebody can hit the stop button or, or even pause for a long time, because then that's going to defeat the effective quick action. But you can certainly imagine a situation in which if the country where platforms are based feels that others are taking measures or raising unjustified concerns, they would be able to ask for some sort of review of that. That sort of understanding between different jurisdictions exists already across various areas where you can have European-wide action, uh, whether that's environment or competition, or indeed in the JHA area. If uh, somebody feels that some of the justice and home affairs instruments are being misused, then they can raise concerns. There's a question about who can issue these notices, these removal notices. And I understand that it wouldn't help if everybody could issue removal notices because you wouldn't know how seriously to take them. So I think we do need to establish clear rules and criteria around which authorities are going to be issuing these mandatory removal notices. I don't see why that can't be done. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't stop raising concerns through the referral process. If you're going to have a legal instrument that says, if your service notice, you need to get on and get this stuff taken down uh, within one hour, then you need to know that that is an authoritative notice. I think we can solve that. Uh, we need to have a solution on, as you've uh, underlined already, on proactive measures. I think that's going to be tricky, but I don't see why we can't find a solution whereby we're saying the form in which you do this is not mandatory. It's the outcome that we want to see. If your platform has been targeted and is being used to peddle this illegal content, then what we want to do is work with you to make sure that you're no longer used or misused in that way. So that there's a suite of effective measures that mean that your platform is not being targeted by peddlers of terrorist content. The exact form of those measures can be discussed and it can be proportionate to the nature of the problem and the nature of the platform, including technical measures that would stop the re-uploading of identified illegal terrorist content. That would be a possible way forward. And the one hour, which was a headline problem at the start, I think it might be slightly less of a problem now because people have understood the context, uh, is something where we need to have practical arrangements that are going to work for not just the big platforms, but smaller platforms as well. So I don't want to sound hopelessly optimistic. If it was easy, an agreement would have been reached by now. But I do think that refocusing on this issue now is worthwhile because the problem is still there, because there is a window of opportunity to get on with it this year, and because there's a case for doing it in this targeted way to deal with a particular problem of illegal terrorist content before the wider debates that are going to come later in the Commission. 
I certainly think that is an optimistic note. Maybe just to look a little bit at the global picture, um, we've seen in the European Union uh, a certain amount of resistance from the United States, uh, not an un- unreasonable fear that perhaps some of these measures might be targeted at U.S. technology companies. And given that most of the very large platforms are U.S. firms, it's, it's understandable, I suppose, that there would be a concern um, from the other side of the Atlantic. But interestingly, in the last number of months, the, the U.S. Justice Department has proposed to roll back some of the protections for a tech company. So this is being identified in the US and there have been many hearings on Capitol Hill about how to deal with the issue, particularly of radicalization through online platforms. Do you think that perhaps there might be potential for Europe, the US and and other other regions to collaborate uh, more closely on tackling some of these problems? And is it desirable that it happens more on a global level rather than on a regional or a national level? Certainly in an ideal world, it would be desirable for it to take place in a coordinated way internationally. But I don't think that we should make the best the enemy of the good. So if it's already complicated to do some of this uh, amongst Europeans at a European level, I think it'd be even more complicated to do it in a wider circle than that on the basis of any kind of regulation or or, or legislation. Uh, I do think we should continue the conversation. I'm glad that the conversation has evolved, as you've said, over uh, recent years, and that's accelerated a little bit uh, more recently. There is less rejection from the big platforms of the very idea of regulation. And in relation to terrorist content, I think there's much more awareness, including uh, the big US platforms, that they have a role to play because they are the vehicle where this kind of radicalizing content is spread. It happened, I think, that some of the far-right material that was being spread in the States crystallized in the minds of some of the leadership of the US platforms that this was a real problem that they really had to get engaged with. I'm not saying they weren't concerned about some of the Islamist extremist stuff that have been circulating. But the experience, I think, of uh, Charlottesville and others in in the US moved that debate forward. I also think that the terrible attack in New Zealand, Christchurch, New Zealand, made many people look again at the need to try and take more action in this field, including the leadership of some of the big US platforms. I want to be positive again, uh, but I don't think that we should hold our breaths and wait for some kind of coordinated international regulatory activity on this. We should mm-hmm. get on in Europe and do what we can. Obviously, you had the Christchurch call to action. The summit organised jointly between President Macron of France and the Prime Minister of New Zealand. You were involved with at European level. A follow-up protocol. Has that had any material impact on the work of the Commission at the European Commission on the terrorist content file? I'd like, I'd like to think that it's made some difference in practical terms in terms of, uh, it goes to your last question, having a network of cooperation uh, on an international basis for particular aspects of the problem. So how you communicated uh, and managed quickly to try and choke off the spread of video content. And some of the lines of communication weren't there. And I think the effort that you referred to uh, has, has helped. And that's obviously complementary to the work that we were talking about earlier under the terrorist content regulation, 
don't think it cuts across it at all. You've given us um, a rather upbeat assessment, actually. But I think you need to remain positive about the efforts that we're making collectively to try and tackle this problem, because it is a really serious problem. Uh, we can't be disheartened or distracted from trying to make progress against it. So I remain determinedly upbeat and optimistic. And when people say there's a problem, I try and find with them a way forward. I think that could very well be an ideal moment to bring our discussion to an end. It's been about a year since your work with the European Commission concluded. I think it's a testament to the contribution, the huge contribution that you made, that at the Centre for European Reform pointed out that having appointed a security union commissioner we saw more progress in the EU over the course of two years than we had seen in the previous 10 years in, uh, in actually providing security for the people of Europe. So um, that may have something to do with the institutional technical reforms in the Commission, but I think in no small part also had very much to do with the, the person who was appointed. I think it's a real testament to uh, your tenure, um, relatively short tenure, that you achieved so much, that you progressed this really important debate, not just by way of discussion, but also by way of practical legislative proposals, which we hope we'll see, um, will come to fruition uh, before the end of 2020. Uh, I think that is a, an enormous legacy, one that you can be very proud of. You'll be optimistic about the way forward as well, because it's organisations like CEP, that have given so much context and evidence and shown why uh, we need to focus on these issues. And so I, I want to salute the work you've been doing as well. Thank you very much. On that note, thank you very much, Julian. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your kind words about the Counter Extremism Project. And I'm sure we will be talking again. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion. Please don't forget to like, comment on, and share this episode. You can find out more about Fighting Terror and the Counter-Extremism Project on Twitter using our handle at Fight Extremism and on the homepage of our website.